Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled The Cholesterol Conversation, Early and Intensive Treatment of Homozygous Familial Hypercholesterolemia with Novel LDL Lowering Strategies. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an independent medical education grant from Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, Incorporated. I'm Dr. Chris Cannon, an adult cardiologist at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, and I'm joined by Dr. Gita Ragavir, who's a professor of pediatrics at the University of Missouri, Kansas City School of Medicine, and director of preventive cardiology at Children's Mercy Hospital, familial hypercholesterolemia. This is the most common cardiovascular genetic disorder with the heterozygous FH being about one out of every 200 people. Now, homozygous FH is much more rare with one out of every 160,000. And so there are only about 2,000 individuals who have this in the United States. Now, the issue is that in FH, there are genetic mutations that impair the way the body clears cholesterol out of the bloodstream, leading to very high circulating levels of LDL cholesterol, as high as more than four or five times the normal levels cumulative exposure of LDL cholesterol to the arteries is associated with an increased risk of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease events. And so since these LDL levels are caused by genetics, they start at birth. And so you have these very high levels exposed to the vasculature over a long period of time. And untreated patients in a high amount of LDL burden goes up by age 20. And then the sooner you're diagnosed, then getting on treatment, then one can lower the rate of increase in how much LDL is exposed to the arteries. And depending on how intensive the treatment is, if you use LDL-independent treatment, one can really lower that down to levels that may help avoid atherosclerosis. The LDL particle is a key player, and the monocyte that turns into a macrophage and then a foam cell are the inflammatory basis of atherosclerosis within the artery wall. And so this is then a process that, in the case of genetic familial hypercholesterolemia, starts very early on in the pediatric years where we really have to try and make an impact on that. And so let me ask you, Dr. Rakvir, um, what about the timing of diagnosis, especially for the homozygous patients? How does that impact the course of patients in their disease? Thank you, Dr. Cannon. Homozygous FH needs to be diagnosed really early within the first couple years of life. And the reason is they have the highest level of LDLs and they're at very high risk of very early heart attacks and deaths as early as late teenage years and in their early 20s. In the next session, we will discuss how to diagnose patients with homozygous FH. More often than not, these patients are diagnosed because there is a personal history of high LDL cholesterol levels. Somebody has done blood work and their LDL levels are high, and that's how they come to our clinic. If they have family members, who have had disease at a young age, that should raise suspicion that they may have 
a genetically mediated high LDLC levels. Most important for homozygous FH, I've seen cutaneous xanthomas as the presenting feature, meaning these kids have bumps on their tendons, the tendon xanthoma or cutaneous xanthomas. They usually go see a dermatologist or their general doctor, and if there are bumps under the skin or over the tendons, which people are not sure about, it needs to be biopsied to be confirmed to be xanthomas, and we need to move along with treating FH in those patients. In children, the criteria to diagnose FH is very high LDL cholesterol levels. Normal levels for LDL in children are less than 100 milligram per deciliter. So if it's not dietary, it is just likely that they have FH. A phenotypic diagnosis is good enough, but if they have genetic confirmation, that is supportive as well. In children, we recommend universal screening, but under the homozygous, it may be a little bit too late to screen kids at 9 to 11 years of age, which is the recommendation for universal screening. A second universal screening is recommended at a later age when they are just finishing puberty. However, in those children who have a family history, or if they have other risk factors such as diabetes or cardiovascular risk, we need to screen them early. They also need to be screened for aortic valve disease, FH especially. So Dr. Cannon, can you tell us something about cascade screening in diagnosing patients with homozygous FH? Thank you. Yes, the key screening in adult patients is the cascade screening to identify one case and then to screen through the rest of the family. And this is how I've had many patients present and then finding others through their family is really key. Having a formal pedigree is very helpful and getting a standard lipid panel is the first step, but genetic testing, if we don't know which mutation is involved, and then looking at what are the other risk factors that would be contributing to overall risk is key. And one of those that we found is testing for lipoprotein A or LP little a, which often co-mingles with those with FH. And so bringing that all together, genetic counselors can really help teach the families about this diagnosis. So in our next section, we'll review the mechanisms of different therapies that we have, looking at the rationale for the LDL receptor dependent versus now independent therapies. So to begin this section, let's review the major drug classes of lipid-lowering agents in general. Those statins inhibit synthesis of cholesterol in the liver, that then the liver cells will increase LDL receptor expression. Azetamide works in the intestine and blocks absorption of cholesterol. PCSK9 inhibitors block the PCSK9 regulation of LDL receptors. Bempidoic acid works one level up in in the inhibition of cholesterol synthesis is statins. Now, there are two agents that work independently of the LDL receptor. The first class are MTP inhibitors, and lomidopide is one such agent. And this inhibits synthesis of chylomicrons and BLDL. 
And then the newest agent is an ANGPTL3 inhibitor, and this releases lipoprotein and endothelial lipases from inhibition by inactivating ANGPTL3. And so the latter two will lower LDL really independently of whether patients have an LDL receptor at all or how they're functioning and how many they have. So, Dr. Ragavir, can you tell us about the recent FDA extension on the use of ANGPTL3 inhibitor ibnacumab in children ages 5 to age 11 for homozygous FH, and how does this impact the current algorithms for lowering LDL in young children? That's a great question. So in uh, patients with uh, homozygous FH, the goal of therapy is to decrease the LDL cholesterol way down the 100 milligram per deciliter mark. And we can try to achieve that with high-dose statins and acetamine. And we can also add a 3CSK9 inhibitor. But these three are quite unlikely to be effective in view of the fact that Patients with HFH will not have a lot of LDL receptors. And if those fail, we then will want to LDL receptor independent therapies such as Evanacumab or resort to something more invasive such as LDL apoptosis. The European Atherosclerosis Society guidelines consensus statement for homozygous familial hypercholesterolemia is that the goal should be to reduce the cholesterol level to less than 115 milligram per deciliter. Remember, these kids start off with levels of 400 and 500 milligram per deciliter of LDL cholesterol. So that's a very big drop, but that's what this drug does. In the next session, we'll review the efficacy of these treatment options. Let's start by looking at the efficacy of some of the traditional options for lowering LDL levels in patients with homozygous FH. Lipoprotein apheresis, which is an invasive option, which needs to be performed every two weeks at least, is probably the most effective because you are essentially taking out all the circulating LDL-C cholesterol and you get almost 80% production. Statins are effective, but it's about a 25% reduction. That with acetamide can have a synergistic effect, but you don't see again more than a 25% reduction. PCSK9, alirocumab, ivalocumab have slightly higher potency. Lomitopide, which also has very good efficacy, is not tested very extensively in the pediatric population yet. So, Dr. Cannon, in addition to these options, we now have this newly approved drug for age 5 and up with homozygous FH. Can you tell us how effective this drug is in reducing LDL-C levels? Looking specifically in the homozygous FH population, it's about a 50% reduction in children ages 12 and up, and then again in ages 5 to 11. So, we have direct evidence in this population of really powerful efficacy overall. This is something that has been seen in the other trials where you get also up to 44, 48% LDL reductions. Have you started treating any of your young patients with the new agent Ibnacumab? And what's been your experience with that? Yeah, in the last few months, I've had the opportunity to begin a very young child who was less than five years of age. And this was before 
FDA approval for 511. She had very high LDL levels and it was not responding to statins and acetamide and PCSK9. And we started to experiment the use of ebonacumab after obtaining for compassionate use and single patient IND. And luckily, her response was terrific. Her LDLC dropped by almost 65 to 70% within the first few infusions. That's terrific. I have two patients on this agent now, and both of mine were also in the range of 60%, so more than what's been seen in the trial. So it's so exciting to see people that started out with 400 plus down to less than 100 for my two adult patients, both of whom have atherosclerosis. So really a wonderful addition. In the next section, we'll discuss the safety considerations associated with these approved different drug classes for the treatment of homozygous FH. In this session, let's review some of the common side effects associated with the different drug classes that are used for treatment of homozygous FH. So beginning with apheresis, the procedure itself doesn't have many side effects. Sometimes hypotension can be one, but the logistics of going in every two weeks for a multiple hour procedure is the side effect of that. For the different drug classes, statins in adults, myopathy is well known to everybody. Elevated liver enzymes occasionally will happen. With azetamibe, there really haven't been any major side effects reported in the placebo-controlled trial. PCSK9, similarly, very few major side effects. There are some minor injection site reactions, and interestingly, upper respiratory tract infection was seen in a small percentage of patients. Bempidoic acid is another class of drugs that we sometimes use, and an increase in uric acid levels in gout has been seen, also some renal dysfunction and cholecystitis. For the MTP inhibitor lamidipide, GI distress is a very big factor that is dose-dependent fatty liver and transaminitis also need to be carefully monitored for. With the ANGPTL3 inhibitor, even Acumab, really no major side effects have been reported. Various minor side effects in nasopharyngitis or influenza-like illness, dizziness. Is it a little different in pediatric populations or is this similar to what you see? Usually in children, statins are very well tolerated. We do not see myopathy and myalgias that is quite often seen in the adult world. Acetamine, again, we don't see any side effects. PCSK9, the experience is limited, but again, there is not much in terms of side effects. Evanacumab, from what we know from recent FDA approval on the trial, very well tolerated in children five years and up. And I'd like to add starting a child on apheresis every two weeks for the rest of their lives is quite a big impediment for their quality of life, let alone some other infection-related complications that may ensue with repeated IV access issues. And with this newer agent, Devanacumab, how has the side effect profile been in treating any of your young patients? I was very impressed with how safe it was. It's a monthly infusion and the infusion goes over an hour period, but tolerated well with no increase in transaminase levels or CK levels. My experience with adult patients has also been terrific. One of my two patients had tried lamidipide but had bad GI side effects, but both are tolerating this new agent very well. 
What would you say are your takeaways? I would like to add that early diagnosis is the key. People need to be aware that there are genetic causes. To it is not a diet and they can cut out all the fat and the cholesterol in the diet and they will still have very high ADL cholesterol levels. Diagnosis is really key. And we have lots of therapies that can be offered for these patients. So it's a very exciting time that if you make a diagnosis, you can really have a very good discussion with patients that we can get this under control. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.